Hey, I just want to say welcome and thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to look this morning at the text in John chapter 4, the woman at the well in Samaria. Good morning, One Hope. Um, I'm Siggy and today we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John uh, chapter 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If he knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more believed. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what she said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, I want to thank you for every heart that comes before you now. In our living rooms, in our bedroom, wherever we're watching from, thank you that you're with us. That your word is just as real for us as we, are, as we are scattered as it is when we are able to gather again or as we have gathered in the past. Thank you that you want to talk to us, that you want to work in us, that you want to change us, that we don't come to a living text, a textbook that we study or that we get a theological degree around, but actually that we come to something that's going to change and bring life to us in your name. Amen. Friends, this is a powerful story. And as we start in the book of John, in this chapter, chapter 4, we see that there's two main characters. There's the character of Jesus Christ and there's the character of the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, Jesus, the Bible teaches us, was literally called Emmanuel, God with us. It was God pressed into human form, who came and lived among us. Now, what that means for us when we look at the life of Jesus is that we must consider how he thought. We must consider how he behaved. We must consider what he taught. And we must look at who he hung out with. And all of these things teach us, instruct us, comfort us, challenge us, change us, ultimately. And then the second character that we look at is the woman at the well. As you'll know if you've read scripture or heard preachers preach much in your life, often the scriptures are very economical in the way that they describe someone. They use very carefully chosen words and a few words. So it means that each word is important and we think about it. So last week in, in Luke chapter 18 and 19, we looked at Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler and each of those words, rich, young ruler and the fact that he was a man were important. Then we compared it in the same day to the story of Zacchaeus. It happened in the same day and we looked at Zacchaeus who was rich but who was a sinner and a tax collector and he was a short man, short of stature. And all of those things the author inserts for a, a very good reason. They want you to know those details. Now when we come to the woman at the well we see that the author gives us three clues or three adjectives to describe her. A woman, a Samaritan, and a sinner. She's a woman with a, a checkered past. And so let's examine each of those three things as we start looking at this text this morning, because each of them are important to understand in the context that this was written into. We don't first jump to our context and what it means to us. We need to understand how it's written. So in this context, a woman just to give you a feel for what it was like, could not divorce her husband for any reason. A husband could divorce his wife with a piece of paper for any reason whatsoever. It was considered extremely important for men to study the Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament. Women were strictly prohibited from studying the Torah. When it came to worship, there was a temple in Jerusalem and the temple was where God lived. And so the people considered it revered and they would they would come there to worship God. But women were only allowed in the outer courts. So their relationship with God was constantly being communicated to them that they had to stay some step further back than the men from God. Women, when they were in a, a house of law or a court, 
their witness or their testimony was not held up. It was considered unreliable. This gives you some kind of picture, the testimony and all of these things of what a woman must have felt like in that day. Then we come to Samaritans and to understand there's such a history here. I could look into it for over an hour with us, but, but the basics of it is that there's a huge fight around temples. And this goes right back into Ezra chapter 4 when the, the Jews were returning from exile, but they considered themselves the real, the pure Jews. And the ones who had stayed behind and married a bit with the woman of the land, they were the Samaritans. And they were considered by these Jews as the unclean Jews. And so these guys came along and said, hey, we want to help you build the temple. They did have some ill intention as well, it must be said. But the pure Jews, if you would, or the guys who considered themselves that, rejected them and said, no thanks, we don't, you got no part of us or our God. So the Samaritans then were extremely angry and the animosity began at that point. Now a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet story. What happened is that the high priest of this temple in, in Jerusalem, where the, where the pure Jews, so to speak, were, the high priest had a grandson who fell in love with the daughter of Sanballat, who was the leader of the Samaritans. He ran away from Jerusalem, married this girl, and then Sanballat built a new temple in Samaria. And that grandson of the high priest became the high priest of that temple. So you can see this animosity going on between these rival clans, just like we have in many ways today. But the real issue came when in the Maccabean War, the Samaritans joined forces against the Jews with the invading enemy. And when the Jews defeated them, they then came in and desecrated, destroyed their temple and raided their territory. And so at the point that we read now, the Samaritans and the Jews were so, there was so much hatred that the Jews would walk around Samaria, taking them if they were going to the other side, an additional three days of walking just to avoid walking through Samaria. So that was struck too against the woman in our story. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. And then for strike three, why Jesus shouldn't be engaging with this woman, some would say, was that she was clearly a, a sinner. She was a known sinner. She had five husbands and was now living with a man who wasn't her husband, the text reveals. Even today, even if you're not a Christian and you were in a social circle where someone had five husbands and was now living with someone that wasn't their husband, I'm pretty sure we'd all raise an eyebrow. But in, in this society where, where law keeping and looking the part on the outside had become everything, in this society, this relegated you to the status of outcast. And that's why the text says that it was the sixth hour when she was coming to get water from the village or from the city. Sixth hour is noon, the hottest time of the day. It was about a four kilometer round trip from the town all the way to the well and back. She had to carry probably more than one load of water in these huge earthen jars. She's there because she can't go with the supposed virtuous woman in the morning. She doesn't want to meet anybody. She's full of shame and she wants to be left alone. And so she goes in the heat of the day. Now, as we look at these two characters, the, the text shows Jesus doing something so countercultural, so radical and so healing and so profound. 
And all the while, as we're looking in, as it were, as we've been given a glimpse into Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus here on earth, we're looking in and we're asking, what does this mean for my life? What is it that God wants to reorientate or show me that needs to change in my life, in my culture, just as it needed to in this day? And age, but we'll get there just now. So let's read again in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, just this text, just Jesus saying to a Samaritan woman anything at all, and it happens to say, Please give me a drink, would have been absolutely mind boggling, mind shattering for anybody reading it in this time, in this context you can see that the woman herself is startled she says how is it that you a jew ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria and the the author helpfully inserts just for those people who weren't from the region for the jews have no dealings with samaritans and then we go down to verse 27 and we see jesus's disciples coming back who incidentally are made up of both men and women it's an incorrect thought to think of only Jesus' disciples as men. Many who followed him were named women in the scripture. Verse 27 says, Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, in other words, they would have been expected to say, or you could have expected them to say, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? What I want you to notice is that these disciples were more amazed that he was talking to a woman than that he was talking to a Samaritan. With all the racial hatred, with all the tension, with all the history, they're more upset that he's talking with a woman than a Samaritan. Now we can, we can read this and we can think, oh, isn't that, isn't that sweet? Isn't Jesus just the most lovely, inclusive man? Or, or maybe in today's modern society, we could translate it as Jesus is getting a carefully curated Instagram moment where he wants people to know that this is his stance on women. And he's, he's a, an open-minded guy and, and he's having some kind of moment like that. And if we do that, we can completely miss the massive upheaval that is going on in the text right here, right in the text. If we think of Jesus sweet and nice, we miss what's really going on. Theologians speak about this as Jesus ushering in an an upside down kingdom. That's the language they use, an upside down kingdom. And what that means is Jesus came and he, he turned everything on its head. And he said, if you want to lead, you have to serve. If you want to be powerful, then you need to be weak. If you want to be truly rich, You need to learn to give away. If you want to, and he goes on and on and on. If you think I came for the righteous, you're wrong. I came for the sinner. And what he does in that moment is that he completely inverts the understanding of our sin-prone hearts. And he inverts the understanding of our sin-prone cultures. It gives me a lot of hope. For my life and for us as a church and as a nation that it took the disciples so long to get this just like us and how Jesus had to again and again 
give them parables and stories and examples. And he got angry with them and said, don't you get it? This is not how the kingdom came. And, and this is what the kingdom will be like. And this is what the kingdom won't be like. And he's constantly demonstrating it to them. It's this lifelong pursuit of God. What is your kingdom look like? And Jesus was trying to explain to them why he actually came. And this upside down kingdom is no different when it comes to women. And Jesus came proclaiming something so upside down, so countercultural, so radical that it shocked and offended many people who walked with him or who were looking in on his ministry. And it awed and inspired and validated others, especially women in the stories. But in this text, Jesus doesn't seem to just do that. He, he goes, he ratchets it up to the next level and he does the unthinkable for this culture but the most beautiful thing you could imagine look at verse 25 and it says the woman said to him i know after they've been discussing the temples which now makes sense why she's arguing about the temples the woman said to him i know that messiah is coming he who is called christ when he comes he will tell us all things Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. A profound statement. If anyone has ever told you that Jesus did not claim to be the Christ, they have not read the New Testament. What's so earth shattering about that declaration and the moment is not just that the Messiah is now Emmanuel, God with us living on earth. What you need to know is that this is the first time that Jesus has revealed himself publicly to be the Messiah. He hasn't even revealed this yet to his disciples. And here he does it to a woman who's a Samaritan, who's a well-known, checkered past sinner. I mean, doesn't that blow your mind? And this is no, this is no slip of the tongue. This is no conversation that you or I might have where we go back and we're like, oh man, I wish I, I shouldn't have said so much. I shouldn't have promised that or, or said that. This is no Jesus randomly passing through Samaria just so happens to bump into a woman. This encounter was carefully thought out, planned, purposed by God. I, I imagine, and this is nowhere in the Bible, but I imagine the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and maybe a few angels sitting around and discussing what this moment should look like in history when Christ is first revealed, first reveals himself publicly as the Messiah. And I imagine them saying, who do you think should be there? Who should be there? And then they say, it should be a woman. Yes, it should be a Samaritan. Even better, it should be a woman who's a Samaritan, who's a sinner and what we need to know is that God has always thought like this God has always believed like this it's not some new thing God in the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 1 and 2 makes it abundantly clear that men and women were created equal equal value equal status he looks at them and he declares them together very good not the man is very good and the woman is slightly less good he declares them both very good he says they made in my image in the image of god omega day jesus is not teaching something new he's bringing us back to what god has 
always declared to be true. He's showing us what kingdom culture looks like. What God-infused culture looks like. And God in, those, in these moments, in the story as we look in, is reminding us and taking us back to our original intent as his image bearers. And in that moment, we realize not just that we have equal value as men and women, but that we are both essential to the purposes and the plans that God has for his world. That he designed it that we would both be essential to what he wants to accomplish. Now, not just is it a issue of gender, it's also an issue of race and hatred. And in the story, the Samaritan, and exactly the same holds true, made in the image of God. The same logic applies. And God comes in this text and in, in hundreds of other texts in his word, and he obliterates our categories, whether they're racial or any other kind of category, he obliterates it. And in this moment, we realize as we look into the story that this was never God's plan for the world, this kind of racial tension. Paul writing in the New Testament in a book called Galatians is writing to the Galatian church. This is how he says it. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, doesn't it speak the most beautiful word to us? Doesn't it speak the most beautiful word what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in this moment? And then there's one more category, the sinner. She knows it. The whole town knows about it. Jesus, the Messiah, knows about it. And this, this is the ultimate problem that she faces. This looms large over being a woman in this culture. This looms large over any racial divide. This is the divide that our, our sin creates, making us not just outcasts from our town or from our people or from our race, but making us an outcast to the kingdom of God from God himself, sinner. And so Jesus says to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And Jesus uses the metaphor of her physical thirst at a well, of a picture of her far greater need. He's saying to her, you, you come here daily trying to fulfill your earthly thirst, but actually there's another thirst that's going on in your heart, a spiritual thirst for living water. And Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, once said it like this. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart and God alone can fill it. And this God-shaped vacuum is evident in me and it's evident in you. If we're honest, all of us can relate to this woman. We live in a world that promises to satisfy us in, in so many ways, but the satisfaction is short-lived and hardly ever penetrates to the deepest thirsts in our heart. 
We always find ourselves thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Even when we try to fill it with good things like family and love or work or money or achievement. Or sometimes even the bad things like a a high inducing substance or arrogance and self-glory. Eventually we realize that these things leave us empty too. I shouldn't be doing application already, but what well are you drinking from? One of my prayers in this time of COVID, which is an awful thing happening around the world, but one of my prayers that I'm asking that God would use to redeem this time is that men and women who have been trying to drink from wealth and from success and from achievement and from good health and all these other things that COVID is coming and shaking in our world, that they would realize that their greatest thirst cannot be satisfied from any earthly thing. So Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him becomes in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus promises this woman a way out. And he promises us a way out from a never-ending cycle of thirst. So what's he talking about? What is this this well and the spring and water? Jesus is, is using a metaphor to describe salvation. He's saying God saves us. And he he describes what happens when we believe in Jesus, when we stop believing that all our stuff and all the other things that we place our trust in can satisfy us. And we come to God and we realize that he alone is able to satisfy us. Then what happens in that moment is that we accept that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is in this text where he says, I am he. And as we, as we realize that, it's like a spring begins inside of us and it starts to bubble up in our lives. And every day we get to drink from this spring and all the thirsts that we've been chasing and, and never able to satisfy and fulfill. All these thirsts, now we just drink and drink and drink of this new living water. And it even spills over to those around us and our family and our friends. And they get to drink of this new joy in our hearts and God says the water that I give you is eternal life it will never dry up the spring and it's not like a well that you've got to work so hard to get that water out and walk it back it just is going to come out and come running into your village his promise is that the God shaped vacuum in her heart will finally after trying in so many ways Five men. What do you think was hurting? What do you think she was trying to satisfy? What was the thirst of this woman's heart? God is saying, finally, you will be eternally filled with my spring of living water. Jesus, the woman, and the upside down kingdom. A woman, a Samaritan, and the sinner. Now, how does this apply into our lives today? I mean, where where do we start? There's just so much 
that we could apply here into our lives and so much that we need to think about church. One hope. Those who don't know Christ, we need to think. Let me ask it like this. Who are we in this story? Who are we in this story? When we examine our hearts, I think we quickly realize that we are the sinful Samaritan woman in the story. We are the outcasts, not necessarily from our society. You might be very successful. You might be very part of the in crowd. But we are unable to come to God's temple just like the Samaritan woman. She couldn't have access to that Jerusalem temple. And so we don't have access to God with legalism or any other thing. And we see that in this story, we are this woman. But then we see something so incredibly beautiful that as Jesus responds to her, so he responds to us. And as he doesn't disqualify her for any of the things that culture would disqualify her or even her own sinfulness, so he doesn't disqualify us. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, can I tell you that you're not missing out on religion. You're not missing out on a more moral life. You're not, you're not missing out on a safe ticket to heaven. You're missing out on the most freeing, identity-shaping, culture-reorientating gift of love and grace that the world has ever experienced. And in this moment, when we realize how Jesus responds to us and how he sees us when we see him looking in on this woman's life those of us who struggle with value and being valued we see that God truly values us those of us who struggle with being equal we see that Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that we understand that we are created equal that we are loved of God that we are sons and daughters of Abraham all of us that we are pure and declared righteous when we accept him no matter what we have done and what our past looks like the second thing I think that applies so powerfully into our lives is for us to stop and to reflect not just on the culture of the day but on the culture of our day I don't want us to stop and think that this is 2,000 years ago and it's a problem specific to the Jews and the Samaritans. Guys, this is, we can't think this is far off. This is in, in our hearts. It's in here. It's in my heart. I'm grappling with these things. It's in your heart. One hope. It's part of our homes. It's part of our culture. It's part of our church. And so today on, on Women's Day, we celebrate women in South Africa, but it's with deep sadness that at the same time we simultaneously grapple with gender-based violence and the evil that largely men perpetuate against vulnerable women and children. It's into this context not only of the gender-based violence issue, but women around the world today remain some of the most downtrodden, lesser valued by society, unequally paid, or even just the butt of one joke too many or seen as some kind of sexual trophy encouraged by the explosion and the consumption of pornography in the world 
today. And we need to understand on a cultural church, our own hearts level, we need to understand and grapple with and change our hearts and our minds and relook at our churches because inside each and every one of us is so many sinful, ungodly settings. There's like a huge settings dial and it's set on ungodly, unbiblical, sinful ways of thinking, callous, hurtful ways of thinking about women, about race, about sinners, about so many things. And Jesus wants to come and upside down kingdom it. He wants to come and turn it by the gospel and the power of the gospel, turn it upside down down and he comes and says to this woman who's been treated in this way her whole life he comes and says to us through the story in the past it was like that but i am bringing in a kingdom and i no longer my followers are not to engage in this way he comes and he speaks to us about race and the samaritan and he says you've treated and engaged with people that you hated or that are different to you like this i want to bring a new way i want to show you a different way that's always been my way but it's new to you and your thinking he wants to come and help us see that those who are far from him those sinners those with checkered pasts are just as welcome at his table just as we spoke last week about Zacchaeus and how the disciples said who can be saved and Jesus turns away from the rich young perfect looking ruler who had everything it seemed on the outside for salvation and instead he turns to Zacchaeus and says he can be saved he's the true son of Abraham and then let me finish this morning by asking us what do we do What do we do in response to a message like this? There's so many things. One, we need to repent. We need to come before God. And where His Word has convicted us, we need to go before Him on an ongoing basis and say, we're sorry, God. We're sorry for how we viewed things. Show us what we haven't seen. Then we need to let His Spirit begin to renew our minds. As we think on these things, as we see how God brought something different, as the Spirit and that living water wells up inside of us Christians, we have the power to think differently and not just to arrogantly plod on the same old paths that we've been on our whole lives. But there's something else that I want us to do. As you know, we feel as a church that God is calling us into a season We want to prioritize those who don't know Christ, just as Jesus did in this story. We want to tell them about the Messiah, the King who's come. And it doesn't matter who they are or what they've done, that they are valuable and accepted by God. This is the message that we carry. We carry life. We carry life with us. And so as we come to that season... I want us to look at the story and realize that what God gave this woman was an incredibly precious privilege to carry the good news. She was the first carrier of the good news that the Messiah had come. And if we look at what she does with that privilege, it says in verse 29, Come, see a man. Come. Come see, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 
they went out of the town and were coming to him. She just says, come and see everything, I, everything I've done. She just told her story. It wasn't hard. She just told her story. And then in verse 41, it says, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world and so we just have to bring them and then somewhere God explodes in this process in a beautiful way and they one day turn around and say we believe because you we saw something happening in you and you told us and you said come and see but now we believe because we have seen with our own eyes so here's what I want you to think about that just like Jesus gave this woman the precious privilege to carry the news of the Messiah we have the same privilege. We have the same Messiah. We have been forgiven of the same things. And God is calling us to tell others, come and see. We're going to watch a short video from one of the Alpha videos. It's about two minutes long. From one of the Alpha videos that we'll be showing to those friends that you're inviting. And it will help you to see how powerful it is to simply say, come and see. Come and see. That's what Jesus said. He said to people, come and see. And they came and saw, and then they went out and told their friends, come and see. And this is probably one of the reasons that many of you are here today. A friend or a member of your family or a work colleague said to you, come and see. And this is something all of us can do. Albert McMakin was a farmer. When he was 24 years old, Albert came to faith in Jesus at a church service in a nearby town. He was so full of excitement and passion that he filled a truck with friends and took them to the next service to hear the gospel as he had. There was a farmer's teenage son who Albert was especially keen to get to the service, but the young man was hard to persuade. He was much too busy falling in and out of love with different girls, so it's safe to say that he wasn't particularly attracted to Christianity. But Albert Mamekin had an idea. And he managed to persuade the young guy to come to church by asking him to drive the truck. When they arrived, Albert's guest decided to go in and was, in his own words, spellbound. He went back again and again until one night he went to the front of the meeting to pray and gave his life to Jesus Christ. The year was 1934. Since that day, Albert's guest has spoken in person to over 210 million people about the Christian faith, more than anyone else in human history. He has become the friend and confidant of 10 American presidents and has spoken about Jesus to almost half the world's population by radio and TV. The man's name is Billy Graham. We can't all be like Billy Graham, but we can be like Albert McMakin and we can bring our friends to Jesus. And so as you watch that, I hope you're encouraged by how simple it is simply to say, Come and see, just like the woman in the story that we've been studying today in John 4. She said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. It can be as simple as that. Just come and see what he's done in my life. And so with that in mind, we've designed an evening, a launch, an alpha launch evening on Thursday, the 20th of August at 8 p.m. And the idea is that you can invite your friends for just one night 
to come and see what Alpha is all about, to see whether they want to do the 10-week course. They might not be keen to commit without knowing more about what Alpha is. That evening is designed to give them an easy way to understand what it is they're actually saying yes to and let them then make up their minds after that. Invite your friends to come and see. And so as we finish this morning, let me encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, man, I hope this story has spoken to you about the kind of God He is, about how He accepts us in all of our stuff. And I want to say, you don't have to have the right words. You don't have to know the right prayers. You don't have to fix anything in your life. You don't have to get it all in order before you come to Him. Just as you are, He accepts you. These, these are the criteria for coming to Christ. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you full of guilt? Are you downtrodden? These are the scriptural things that he says, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, you who are burdened with sin. It's no great special criteria that we need to come to him and pray simple prayers, honest prayers, inviting him to become the one that you trust and the one that you're going to place your hope in. And inside of you will well up a spring of living water to eternity. It will never stop. It will just get more and more and more inside of your heart. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it cuts into our heart. Lord, would we see so much fruit from your word in our lives. God, as we pause to consider the words we say, how we may even unintentionally create such hurt in others' lives. Father, would you come and show us how you responded to people that were vulnerable, that were outcast, that were a woman in the setting of this context, a Samaritan and a sinner. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live increasingly in a kingdom gospel-centered way, in this upside-down kingdom kind of way. We love and praise you. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll see you again next week.